Welcome to the Evolution Exchange UK podcast. We're bringing together the best technical leaders to talk about the industry passions and challenges they are facing. I am Ashley from Evolution Recruitment Solutions and I help businesses connect with top tech talent. And today I am your host. I'm joined today by a fantastic panel to talk about overcoming obstacles and the challenges of remote working. Before getting into the discussion, let's make some introductions. So first of all, welcome to you, Rob. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi guys, I'm Rob. Um, I'm one of the directors at the Digital Maze. We're a full service marketing agency. We're based in the Midlands. We offer everything from web design to SEO to paid advertising. Um, and yeah, that is other than a nutshell. We've got about just shy of 40 people working full time now. Been an interesting couple of years, obviously moving from um, working from an office working to working remotely so hopefully can shine uh, some of my own insights from my own experience running a business enjoying that transition into this podcast and uh, and yeah looking forward to it amazing and next welcome to you keith thanks very much so uh keith cox from block digital we are a digital visualization and data solutions provider predominantly for engineering and industrial clients uh, we've got yeah. about 50 We've got about 50 staff and we're just growing internationally. We just set up a US office over in Cleveland. Perfect. And if you could just give an intro to yourself, Alex. Hi, I'm Alex Lee. Um, I'm a fractional consultant, uh, chief product and technology officer. Um, so I specialize in helping tech-based and tech-enabled businesses from startups to mid-market SMEs to grow and thrive. Um, I'm also an associate partner for a company called Beyond MA, uh, where we provide primarily technology due diligence along with pre and post sales advisory services to private equity and venture capital investors. Um, through that work, I'll see, I get to see lots of kind of different remote working setups. Um, so we've got quite a lot of interesting insights from, from working with so many different businesses to how they approach this type of type of challenges we're going to be talking about today. Perfect. And if you could introduce yourself, Mike. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Mike Bruman. I'm CEO at Vanti. Uh, we're based in Birmingham. And we put technology into the built environment. So uh, we're known as uh, a master systems integrator, uh, take different people's hardware and software, make it work for the benefit of people uh, and all the different personas of people that work within buildings. Employ about 45 people. Um, we've got two products, Kahoo and SmartCore, in incubation at the moment. Amazing. So great. If we can move on to the topic, obviously, as I say, it's overcoming obstacles to so the challenges of remote working. And uh, we start off with you again, Rob. Your question was, how can businesses provide the right tools, systems and processes to foster collaboration whilst working remotely as a team? And uh, if you could sort of just give your reasons for, for raising that, that topic. I think the reason I added that topic was because over the last, well, it's over, over two years now, isn't it? Since sort of, you know, the pandemic started, which is a bit of a swear word, isn't it? Um, but yeah, since the pandemic started, we all shifted from, well, we certainly did shift from working from the office to working from home. And that hasn't really changed for us. We, we, we've still got our office. It houses, I don't know, 10 people maybe on a daily basis, but the vast majority of our people are still working from home. And the reason I asked this question was because over the last two years, we've chopped and changed our tool set over and over again, to probably to the great annoyance of our team. But we've tried different communication tools, we've tried project management tools, we've tried collaboration software, we've tried different um, remote calling tools. And I think we've finally settled on what we're going to use as our sort of tool set for the business. But I think it's been a massive learning curve for us in terms of choosing the right tools, having the right systems in place and processes to foster that collaboration is, is massively important. And I think it feeds into some of the other questions we're going to talk about today around performance and stuff like that as well. So 
yeah, that's the reason I asked it because it's just been, you know, choosing the right tools has been probably one of the most important things I've had to do throughout this whole process. And the amount we've had to change it as well has probably been one of the biggest pain points we've had as well. Do you have any any thoughts on that at all, Mike, in terms of um, how business can provide the right tools? Yeah, definitely. Well, I think that kind of personally and from Vanti's perspective, we were quite fortunate. Uh, we'd been using Slack for a long time. We'd thankfully killed off email internally a number of years ago. And um, a lot of what we do is around unified communications. So we'd already been users of uh, Zoom and then latterly Microsoft Teams. Uh, I think it, it feels like quite a long time ago, it feels like all of the products have had to mature at just phenomenal rate. Um, and I remember back in the early days of the pandemic, just even things like, you know, raising hands and stuff was just not a thing and an absolute nightmare with people kind of talking over each other and stuff like that. Um, it's been interesting to see client organizations responding and how they're kind of looking at their tool set, particularly number of corporates that we work with, just the speed that some of them have been able to move at and then comparatively the speed that some organizations just have not moved at. Uh, and I think the other thing is the, I think there's a lot talked about the technology in terms of, and it's obviously important in terms of the tool set, but it's also the adoption and how different organizations have brought those tools into the fold. Um, some people in construction that we join at the moment all sit there, cameras off. It's very difficult to kind of interact with people where you're not seeing their faces, very difficult to collaborate around things. Um, whereas other people are, you know, cameras always on, uh, really kind of wanting to get involved, lots of gesticulation, all those kind of other bits and pieces. I just think, uh, yeah, it's, it's been quite a cultural thing in terms of how people have adopted the different tools and also the choices that they've made in terms of selecting them as well. Have you got anything to add on, on to that point at all, Keith? Um, I totally agree that the tool set has massively accelerated over the last two years. So you can work remotely and you can work remotely efficiently as a team that's that's now that's now proven i don't think anybody can 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 argue that point um where where we as a company really feel that that doesn't quite work and i don't know yet how the tools will evolve to help this is we have two sides to our business one is a creative side which is predominantly 3d animation and the other side is a development side where it's coders um and the dev team now the coders and dev team is pretty um, sort of, they they can sit down and almost do the, the job on them, you know, by themselves or remotely and work together as a team. That works really well. What we massively, massively missed when we all went uh, and remotely worked during the pandemic is that over-the-shoulder creative spark that you get from working next to somebody that you wouldn't normally ring for a team's call to say, "What do you think of this?" It's the, "What do you think of this?" That that collaboration creativeness that you just get from working in the same office of just shoulder surfing or as you're walking past you kind of put your input in. that is key to getting amazing creativity and you lose that or we lost that remotely because you normally would only make a call if you've got a specific question and you want a response from you don't just ring and screen share just just for the sake of it well people just look at your screen you don't do that and the other thing we found with from a creative director who we have in the studio they have in their mind what they want a shot to look like so i need the camera to come in and whip off to the left and i want the light to glint up the they can they have in their brain they will document that now with the remote stuff the team would go and do it and the first time the creative director sees that it's not what he had in mind is when they've done it and then they have to do it again when it's in the office he can see that straight away and you can mold that shot as they're working on it so we don't yet know 
how remote teams work creatively, effectively. And that's not to say you can't, because we can, but the productivity went down because the amount of rework to get it where we wanted it had to keep going back and back and back, whereas you get it first time when you're all in the same room. So that's one thing we are struggling still with. And I'm, if anybody's got a magic tool for that, then let me know. That'd be great. Do you have anything to add to that point, Alex? Uh, yeah, just a few thoughts on, on that that point, really. I think, again, sort of from the software and engineering space, I've spent a lot of time with remote teams there. And I've, I've noticed that the creative challenges seem to come out when you're talking about kind of architecture and you know, some of the meetings where I have 10 people all trying to collaborate around a virtual whiteboard. Um, and that sounds like a complete car crash. Um, and it can it can be, but I've seen some of those sessions, it seems to be going to be the facilitation of the session is one of the things that helps to set them apart. And secondly, I'd say it's the kind of, it's the willingness of the participants to to really feel like they can get involved. And it's it's kind of, it's almost feeling like it's an informal session rather than a kind of formal shirts on backs against the wall kind of meeting. And I think that really comes down to the, the people see, uh, facilitating those meetings and everyone just gets in and collaborates on the flip side of that I've said, you know the the camera's off camera's off no one's kind of talking you know, it's it's virtually impossible to do that type of work so i i think it really comes down to kind of the tool if you like is secondary to to trying to create the safe culture where people can can really collaborate in that way and speak out and then then i think the toolings i mean the tooling does matter but it's kind of also irrelevant as long as you pick one of one of three whiteboarding tools it doesn't matter which one you've picked that would be my my view in terms of the the overall question rob did you have anything else to any other points to add to that no i mean completely agree with what what keith says um as well i mean we've got we're very similar we've got we've got developers we've got engineers we've also got the the creative side of the business and definitely the side of the business um that we we missed that sort of face-to-face interaction was definitely the creative side i mean for me i'm I'm a boring guy. I sit on my spreadsheets most of the day. I'm fine. I can sit in a room and I can hash out my work day to day. But I know certainly the design team, certainly um, the more creative people in our team, they really value the, the face-to-face time. That, that's really why um, we kept the office. You know, we could have saved that expense and gone full remote, but actually we kept the office. It doesn't house the, the, the full team, but it certainly houses enough people if they want to go in Um to go and chat, to go and have that collaboration, to go and discuss a project, to go in for a certain purpose, not just to do their work for the day, because ultimately you can do that anywhere now. But if there's a specific reason to get together face to face and have that conversation about a project or a piece of work, then that's a really good thing for them to be able to do. So, yeah, certainly a mass- there was a massive hole in our business in terms of that face to face interaction from the creative side. But on the other hand, um, you know. There was a little, probably a little bit of decreased uh, productivity there, but I would say maybe, you know, to counter that, there was probably some increased productivity from the likes of myself and some of the people that, that do more administrative ta- tasks, should we say, who could just sit down, quiet room, crack on, no distractions. So I suppose you've got to give and take, haven't you? And, and you've got to adapt, and that's what we've tried to do. But, you know, moving back to the initial point of tools, processes, stuff like that, I think, yeah, I think Alex is right. I think, you know, most tools nowadays will fit the bill um certainly now over the last year or two they've really uh, got more and more and more sophisticated but um you know the right tools that can really do wonders for for how the business collaborates how transparent information is where information is located and stuff like that and yeah it just took us a while to to get that in place but but now we've got it it's all pretty scalable uh everyone knows where to go we've got 
guides and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, quite happy where we are right now. Amazing. Did you have anything to add to that, Keith? Yeah, it was just an, another observation. And again, Rob, obviously you're you've been growing quite rapidly in the last couple of years. One area we still did feel that the remote tools were adequate but not excelling was we onboarded several apprenticeships. Some of them were already pre-agreed pre-pandemic. Some of them were during the pandemic. Now, if you're a 17, 18 year old and you're onboarding a company and you're just sat in your bedroom at home for two years, you might as well just be doing Google tutorials because you really gain experience from your peers. So going forwards, as soon as we were back in the office, predominantly, our, our apprentices are like, oh, all this wealth of knowledge of of Again, it's almost that shoulder surfing and as our devs are doing something, like, just check this out. You don't get that if they're at home on their own. How how does remote working benefit new members of the team, especially when they're entry level? Because they need to soak up that knowledge from being around other team members. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, young, old, any any new starters we had, we, we almost had to make it a point of, you know, the first week or two you work for our company realistically we need you to be in the office because that's the only way you can learn there's so many different tools and systems and processes in place um which made it impossible to do remotely and it made it impossible to, to bed somebody into the the company remotely as well um but on, on to what you're saying keith i do i do feel a little bit for people just starting out in their career now you know I, i'm i'm old and past it now i'm fine but for those that are sort of like 17 18 19 just starting into into work now you gain those promotions by speaking to the right people and you gain that experience by, you know, looking at the right people and observing what they're doing. And, they're, and these young folks out there now are just not getting that opportunity. So I guess there's different ways to do it now compared to what obviously all what we all experienced. But yeah, I do feel for them a little bit. I think there's going to be a, a massive sort of, I don't know what, it, what you'd call it, maybe a soft skill gap. I'm not sure um, that's going to be missing from, from this sort of age range. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think sometimes as well, you can, even when you are in an office, you can be around people and not even know you're picking things up necessarily. You just you just naturally do, don't you? Um, Alex, did you have anything to add? Yeah, I think I had some mixed experiences with that during, during the pandemic. Um, we had the fortune for a um, team I was overseeing for the boiler to break three weeks before the pandemic started. So everyone was working from home. Um, and we, we had a print, couple of apprentices and were quite interesting that, that it seemed to be the kind of personality profile of the people that that was one of the determining factors because it sort of seemed to suit certain people would get in there and, and really thrive working from home they check in and they'd be proactive and then also the team members that were supporting them if they were kind of quite supportive at the end of stand-up say look you know let's just grab a few minutes you know informal rather than let's schedule a call and that worked really well but when you kind of if you had a pairing of say someone that wasn't doing so well or people didn't want to kind of communicate with so much coupled with someone who didn't want to communicate you know, and, and wasn't quite so supportive I think that that was much more challenging um, so I do wonder if just different some people might thrive in that remote onboarding environment who might not thrive say so much in the office environment and vice versa yeah have you got any any additional thoughts on that at all Mike or no, I think it's been a great summation just like um, Keith's ultimate creative collaboration tool to come into existence and then uh, uh, if that would save our day we have exactly the same challenge around creative problem solving here. No, thanks everyone for your input on that um, question. If we move on to onto Keith's um, question now of how does a creative team that needs to bounce ideas off each other all the time work effectively outside of an office environment um, if we come to you at first Keith if, if there's anything we didn't touch basically. Yeah there. I mean that pretty much is what we spoke about before. Um, Right now, it you know, it has to be, I think, in my opinion, 
the blended way. There is no binary all out or all in because there, you know, there's pros and cons for both. But yeah, from the creative point of view, as we were saying earlier on, what what currently is the best way of collaboratively working and picking up that almost that water cooler kind of gossip or input into creative stuff? I mean, specifically, like I say, from our point of view, it's almost that understanding somebody's creative input from a creative director's point of view. And then how do you see that? I mean, there are tools, I'm sure, but you know, I, I think we had, the, we had the KPIs from how, how much rework we had to do from miscommunication that you pick up organically. And maybe that's due to our pipeline historically where we're used to that pipeline in the business of just shoulder surfing. And, but I'd like to understand if there's any other ways or any other tools that we're not aware of. Because as Mike was saying, if there is one out there, then we need to look at it for sure. Great. Alex, have you, have you got anything to add to that? Um, I think it's a really difficult difficult problem problem to solve i don't i don't have a good answer again i've seen it kind of I, I work okay i don't think it i mean i don't want to sort of sound too negative about remote working but i think it's just one of those things where it's always going to be more challenging um although some of that can be the same as just working with stakeholders and trying to get their feedback so trying to get it say through digital platforms or get them say well one thing i have seen that works quite well is presenting something with a video um i've seen people all the way to accountants doing this presenting spreadsheets and numbers recording short videos sending it over to someone so they it's not they're not just receiving say in a creative you know ux brief you've just got a load of website you've got the person talking you through what they've done so you get to understand the intent and the spirit because i think sometimes with that with that actually it communicates the trust to you can trust me that i've thought about all these other things as well well then it just lands blank you don't know well, have they thought about this or that? But when you hear the person explaining it, it gives you that, yeah, but I know this person and they always do a good job and, you know, they've they've understood my concerns. Um, that's possibly the best best sort of solution I could I could put forward at this point in time, but but granted, it's still a challenge. Great. Rob, did you have anything to add? Yeah, I mean, we've... The only solution, it's not really a solution, but it's half a solution. I'm sure um, Mike will know of this one if you use Slack. Um, he's using something called a huddle. They introduced a huddle to uh, slack probably about a year ago now maybe maybe not even as recent as that but it's supposed to mimic the water cooler chat so to speak it's really quite informal it does work fairly well it's still not as good as you know peering over someone's shoulder and that kind of stuff but it is quite good for picking up the phone and it not seeming too intrusive to do so and all that kind of stuff and we, we really encourage that we try and make sure that we try and reduce as many sort of text-based messages as possible via slack because not only can information be misconstrued, but actually the tone of it as well. Like, is this person annoyed at me? Is he confused? Is he... Just pick up the phone. You know, just pick up the phone sometimes and just get you get your point across that way. Um, so that's really the only solution we've managed to to. I would say it's had a, a positive impact. The other side to it is again, you, you've already mentioned it, Keith, but the briefing side of it. So you know, we've all come. Well, I certainly came from a world where you briefs. My, well, my briefs never used to be that great. They were quite loose, but you could just you could repeat it over and over again, in, you know, in the same office in the same day, and it didn't really matter. But now you've kind of got one shot, one opportunity to get that brief right, and it, and it sticks with that person who's doing the work. So we've kind of evolved brief templates. So we've got a series of brief templates, and we have to fill out every single field. It's a little bit laborious. A lot of the team would probably say it's 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 a lot of admin. But these brief templates make it much more difficult to miss certain details out and stuff like that. Doesn't really help too much on the creative side because I know some of that's down to interpretation and things like that. But when you're sort of fact-based briefs, we need you to do this, you know, by this 
by this time, by this deadline, it's got this budget attached to it. These, this is the business, blah, 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 blah. Having a brief template with certain fields where you have to capture certain data has been quite useful. So we evolved sort of templates over time to make sure that when we're delivering information, delivering brief, we're not missing any key information out. Um, so that's half a solution, should we say. <laughs> Thanks for that, Rob. Do you have anything um, to add on that point, Mike? Yeah, I think, I mean, I'd definitely echo uh, your bits there, Rob, about um, text-based misinterpretation. And I think also the thing that we found, I think, the real depths of the pandemic, when I think we were all quite adversely affected by the situation we were collectively in, was that the room for inference and lack of positive intent crept in. And so it's been quite a conscious effort for us to really try and address that. And I think, as you suggested, Rob, you know, one of the ways of doing that is just moving to any other communication medium than text uh, as quickly as possible. And certainly encouraging people to do that with uh, people outside of the business, so clients and, and other stakeholders. Um, I agree that there is no one silver bullet. And I think whilst there isn't the silver bullet and the kind of holy grail yet i do feel like there is the emergence of what bad looks like so um you know forcing people to come into an office x number of days a week with complete disregard for the activities they're doing all, all of those kind of bits and pieces um i think is is a real no-no now uh, and i think we've mentioned about uh, you know developers and engineering teams and those kind of folks where just for them to come and do the same work in an office space isn't really worthwhile when quite a lot of them now have you know a lot more advanced setups of multiple monitors and particular ways of working and even down to the routines they like in terms of how their day is shaped and building in stand-ups and all those kind of bits and pieces so we've been looking much more at then uh how do we encourage people back into the office and also encouraging people to think about that there'd been almost this ridiculous peak in productivity through the pandemic because everyone was sealed in their bubble and they could just get on with all those productive activities or be on you know eight or ten or twelve hours of uh, teams or zoom meetings every day but actually trying to now kind of eat back from that to say well if you are going into a space with a lot of other people it may be good to not just measure the amount of productivity and output that you're creating in that day but also how many people have you spoken to or how many collaborative sessions have you been in? And so trying to shape that around uh, making sure that we are doing the collaboration in person, I still don't think anything beats sitting in a room with people and, and getting stuff done. Like if you can make it happen, that's the preference. Uh, we then a set of tools to follow on behind that. But also then, um, you know, events for people to come in for. So we've had uh, global cookery contests, we've had bake-offs, we've had all kinds of things. Anything that's involved food so far, never seen the office so busy uh, since before the pandemic. Um, but other than that, uh, just yeah, giving people a reason to be together, I think is the most important thing. Thanks to everyone. Um, next question is from Alex, and it was how do you make sure people are performing whilst working from home? Um, Alex, do you want to give sort of a quick run through of your question? Yeah, so I'd I thought this was quite an important question to answer because it, it's really tackling kind of one of the core objections to remote working. I think you know, people are, can be quite quite nervous um, about people working from home. Are they really working? Are they getting the work done? Are they just watching TV? How do I know people are doing what they should be doing 
because I can't see see or control them. Um, but there's quite a lot of narrative about this. And, you know, I guess a lot of column inches, high profile bosses ordering people back to the office. And then you have the other end of the spectrum, fully remote remote businesses, um, some of whom have grown up grown up in the pandemic. So I thought it's quite quite a, a pertinent talking point. Um, in terms of um, my experience experience of it, um, I've found it kind of changes the. I don't think it helped me help me be a better manager probably because it changes it changes your focus and it forces you to confront what do I need this person to have achieved, rather than do I not like the way that they might be going about something or how they appear to be spending their time? I can't see that. And you know what? Actually, not for every role, but for most roles, I don't need to see it. I need to find a way of understanding, have they done enough? You know, Have they participated in the right things? And ultimately, are they getting their work done in a, in a productive and kind of collaborative, positive fashion? Um, and during the pandemic, it had some people who really did but it also became very very clear through that some people who really weren't um so i, I guess i don't think this is something to be to be afraid of but i think i'd be very interested to hear what you guys guys experiences are you know, rob do you have any anything to add on that yeah i mean i was i'm the sort of person that i've been on a bit of a journey with this if truth be told i'm the sort of person i am very interested in small details and stuff like that and you know i've got Probably, I've got no problem admitting that, you know, definitely made some mistakes in the early days for sure with this. I think the biggest shift that I've done personally, and I think what we tried to implement as a business as well, is focusing on the outputs. As you said, Alex, not focused on what's going into it. We do have to measure certain inputs as a business, like tracking hours and stuff like that, because that's just the way we contract our clients. But we've implemented a system called, which I'm sure you're all familiar with, called OKRs. It's called Objectives and, and Key Results, and they happen company-wide for us so pretty much everyone in the business has okrs set for the quarter um by leadership or by their line manager or whatnot and that really helps us stay stay accountable and we've also got systems in place uh, the one we use is called 15.5 and it basically um is a check-in system so every week we all have to fill out and update our okrs and say how long how far along we are and stuff like that and it's just a really nice way without being intrusive to gain an update on where everyone's at with their objectives now, it only measures outputs, doesn't measure inputs at all. So there is a degree of, you know, you can't care too much about how people are going about it, of course. You can have your processes, you can set process maps up and stuff like that, which does give them some direction. But shifting the focus to outputs is is a quick way to find out if people are performing or not. And over time, if people aren't getting their outputs and people aren't, you know, achieving the objectives that we set out to achieve and it doesn't align with the, the company's strategic objectives either then it's, it's you know you, you quickly get found out and i think i think trust as well you just got to trust your people i think the people on the ground as soon as if they spot that you're not trusting them then they'll be out the door very very fast they're not you know it's not a great place to be if you don't feel trusted by the leadership team or whatever it might be so just leaving people to get on with their work focus on the outputs but it is a scary place to be especially if you're if, you, if you're the owner of a company and you're paying people's wages and that's most people's biggest overhead, isn't it? It's quite a scary place to be not knowing what people are doing and how they're spending their time and stuff like that. So that was a massive learning curve coming from a, an office where you, you can actively see with your own two eyes that people are in your office. You know, that's that's our our overhead and everyone's here and everyone's cracking on and we're all working towards the same goal. But so, yeah bit of a journey personally but focusing on the outputs has been been a big one for me and implementing okrs and having an actual system in place to track those okrs has been um pretty game-changing 
um, for us on that front. Do you have any thoughts on that, Keith? Um, I kind of echo some of the things that Rob said, specifically one bit where it's like, trust your team. If you don't trust your team to do the right amount of work and hours, they, they honestly shouldn't be part of your team. That's for sure. Um, but when, again, when we were remote working and we're predominantly all in office um, for several reasons, which is weird for a digital tech company that's creating tools for digital solutions. That's just kind of ironic. Um, but I honestly believe that whilst we were remote, our team worked more hours because they were remote than they did in. I think they probably got up and started early. And when they were on a project, they probably, ca- no, I know they carried on way past when they normally would. So uh, yeah, as a group, they put more effort and more hours in and we got less out as a team productively. So that's not a reflection on them. That's a reflection on the tools we've given them and the situation we were with the company. So some of the animation team, when we went remote, they had to download half a gig file just to open the file on their machine, then render off you know, a couple of hundred or even a thousand frames and then transfer that back into the server. So you're transferring gigs and gigs and gigs just so the compositor can then transfer them back again. So we didn't have the infrastructure to be transferring gigs and gigs of data. They just sat there waiting. Yeah, so they were up and working and being proactive, but the, 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 the creativity was taking a dive and so was the productivity. So again, that comes down to tools. The other side of the studio, like say, uh, if you're doing finance or project management or even coding, that's a different matter. Yeah, that's a case of, you can almost, you know, be more more um, remote and, and not have any detrimental kind of issues on that. The other thing, which is specifically a block digital issue, is a lot of our clients are um, have sensitive stuff. So if you're working with military or if you're working with Ministry of Defense, you cannot, you've signed, you cannot let that data go off your premises. We actually have a network that's air-gapped when it's really sensitive. That's, that, that network cannot even touch the internet. For that reason, our team has to be in the office so where a good percentage of our work comes from sensitive stuff i mean over in the states we were literally over at nasa last week that stuff so when we're hiring members of the team and you don't know when the next product's in if half of them or a lot of them are remote you're almost saying well i can't give you that project because you're remote i can't give you that project so because we are working with sensitive and military kind of work weirdly we're a digital company that works better internally because of the kind of work we're working on so yeah, that's a, if anyone can figure that one out for me, I'll happily um I'll happily go <laughs> have the solution for that. Not all the time, so projects can go remote, but you understand when we don't know what's coming in, and if we've already set up um, arrangements with our staff that you can be out of office three days or in two days, they can hold us to that. And if we suddenly get a big project come in, we suddenly can't use them as a member of staff for that project, which is very awkward. So just the clients we work with. Do you have anything on, else on that, Rob? No, I mean I don't. I don't think there's one rule for every company, and obviously dealing with sensitive data, Keith, it's it's it's, it's a no-brainer brainer for you, is it? To be perfectly honest, and I'm sure your team understand that as well. So, yeah, I think you know we. I think I'm, I'm fairly happy with the setup we've got in terms of the flexibility that the office is there if people need it. We're not we're not held back by resource or anything like that. So, for us, it makes it makes a lot of sense. Um, so yeah, I mean, no, no, nothing, nothing more to add to that really. Perfect. And um, Mike, on that on that question about um, people performing well whilst at home, do you have do you have any thoughts on it? Um, I mean, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I think similar to to last time, we know what bad looks like now, right? And it is being forced into an office all the time. And in the extreme, 
it's being allowed to work remotely, but you've got monitoring tools installed on your device that are watching whether your eyeballs watching the screen or your keys are being tapped every so often. Um, so I think it's a move away from that. And there's all the headlines out there about, you know, people who are taking on multiple jobs or, you know, doing other things on, on time. But I think as has been mentioned a lot, which is great, it does come down to trust. And I agree with Keith entirely. I think if you haven't got that trust with members of your team, then the, the question is, should they be on your team in the first place? I think the other thing I'd, I'd mentioned on this as well is that even pre-pandemic, whilst yes, we could see kind of bums on seats, I think we recognised that we had quite long working hours, so we were doing nine till six pre-pandemic. That's now changed to, to nine till five. And that was off the back of, yes, people were sat there, but we knew that we had a real kind of presenteeism, uh, certainly towards, you know, end of the day, people are kind of tail off a bit. And actually, yeah, it looked like they were doing some stuff, but really they weren't actually um, doing that much. So I think um, it's really forced us to think in quite different ways. I, I wish I was as far, far on as you, Rob, in terms of um, having OKRs and something uh, well embedded. I think we are missing that, and that became quite prevalent as uh, reporting lines became more, uh, had, had a lot more emphasis in terms of how do we navigate problems when we're, we're working away from each other. And it isn't just that I can lean across a desk and ask some people a question. So I think something that we definitely need to address internally and also uh, a lot more structured personal development. I think it's very easy for people now to fall into something that is a bit repetitive because they're not seeing the breadth necessarily of what's happening across the organisation in person. We've had a couple of instances where people have almost felt like they've had to lift themselves to move somewhere else as opposed to just talking to us and going, actually, I feel like I'm stuck doing the same things. And when we've actually entered into the conversation, the outcomes have been a lot richer and we've been able to improve it. But it's something I'm very conscious that we need to get a lot more a lot more proactive at. Sorry, Ashley, I think you're on mute. No, I'll do that at some point. <laughs> yeah, Mike, so your question was last. So what changes are people making to their office environments to encourage people to get together in person? Do you have any, any um, sort of rundown on that question? Yeah, so I think the... The best uh, description I've heard of this in terms of Office of the Future is a, a combination between a bar and a library. So it has to be that kind of social element and the, the collaboration part that we've talked about quite a lot today in terms of how do we bring people together. Uh, but also the the library part of it is really um, offices pre-pandemic just weren't working for the vast majority of people. And there's quite a lot of research to, to support this in that if you are somebody who gets your energy from people, you're largely extroverted, actually the desk farm environment you can thrive in. Um, but there's a good portion of the population that found it very difficult, particularly when it came to um, sensitive uh, online meetings or phone calls or finding quiet places to work. It just wasn't a thing that really factored into to office design at that stage. So we've been seeing a lot of clients now implementing um, pod-based environments. So people that you can take self off for a quiet phone call, those kind of bits and pieces, um, those kind of smaller meeting room type areas, and also just a, a greater variety of spaces to work in, not all necessarily shifting to the, the kind of uh, Google caricature that we hear about in terms of you know slides and beanbags and that kind of stuff, but just giving people that variety of spaces uh, to engage in. 
and I think uh, Leesman uh, did a phenomenal piece of research and just a fantastic business pivot through the um, through the pandemic. So known very much for indexing offices against each other, so facilities managers could kind of see how they were performing against uh, other people in the in the space. But they looked at actually people's home working setups and how they compared to a traditional office and unless you were someone who was unfortunate to be I don't know, living with your parents and waking up in the same space as you were working and eating and whatever actually most people's home working environment was significantly better than the traditional desk farm open plan environment and so there's this whole move now to actually if you're going to encourage people back the space needs to be an outstanding space compared to what people have at home and facilitate key activities. If it is, you know, you're an architecture practice and you want to throw a load of drawings down, have spaces that facilitate people to do that, have the equipment that facilitate uh, people to do that. And I think it, it's really just now recognising that people need a reason, particularly where commutes are quite long or particularly where we're employing people at distance, they need a reason to overcome that and to make it worthwhile, not that they're leaving at the end of the day being like, I could have done that at home and actually I probably probably would have been a lot more productive doing it in that way. Do you have, any, have anything to add to that at all, Alex? Yeah, I, I think I, I mean, a lot of this depends on people's proximity to the office as well as one of the things Pandemic has done is is has seen, a, say, a lot of London-centric businesses casting the net further and wider Um uh, all the way up as far as the northeast and then that that then creates the challenge how do we get those people together uh, my wife works for a company and they're, they're based worldwide but a lot of the engineers they're in belfast um and one approach i've seen there that, that's that's really quite interesting is um people used to say everyone get on the train and go down to london but then they look at the price of a train ticket i am not going to swear on 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 air but um i don't think wait 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 a minute we can fly everyone to Spain and pays for accommodation for the same price as that pretty much. And it's going to be much better. We're going to get nice weather. Everyone's going to be happy. So I've seen people booking um, uh, booking nice big villas and apartments in places like Mallorca, flying everyone and everyone can get there because it's easy to get to. And then rather than your train ticket in Hotel London, everyone feels like they've got a holiday. And most people are going to go on that trip, um, but they're not necessarily going to be so keen about getting up crack of dawn getting the train down to london um to go and sit in the office um but that doesn't work if you've got an office location but it works for certain types of businesses the other thing i've seen seen people doing that that's quite there's a kind of whole new breed of software platforms designed to facilitate um remote and hybrid working um so some of them um they will facilitate desk booking you can see when your mates are going to be in as well uh, typically oriented at slightly larger larger organizations and it helps employees and groups to then coordinate their office days it also helps facilities and hr managers to see how our office space is being used who's going in how are people clumping together so there's a kind of you know, two two sides to that coin that, that you know, helps people understand what they're doing so they can make informed decisions about their office space rather than just everyone must be in for three days and and that's that in terms of um your experience then keith have you found that you've had to make many changes to to get people back in, into the office or um not really um apart from uh, um, you know a bit like mike saying you've got to try and make sure that the office is somewhere people are happy to be and when they're in there it's not a, a grind so it needs to be a fun place it needs to be cool i mean we've got Again, some of the stuff we do, you have to come in because where we've got virtual reality gear and reverse engineering and photogrammetry, you physically have to come into the office to do that because that's where the hardware and, and the facilities are. Um, 
but it, it should be the office is is a cool place to work as well so you need to you need to make the environment fun if, they, if you're gonna ask them to come back in for any you know any length of time for sure so i echo that yeah anything to add to that rob um yeah i mean we're you know i would say we're probably in this process now very late to this process but we're in the process right now and i think you know the only thing we've got on the minute is 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 a tool called officely which integrates directly with slack actually and that does exactly what alex says it, it allows you to book your desk it allows um myself or whoever else in the leadership team to see analytics on which teams are going in which teams aren't coming in and that's what allowed us to have conversations with the folks that aren't coming in so much to understand why and i think we're on that journey now we're trying to understand why folks aren't coming in what sort of impact um not being in the office potentially has on them uh, their mental health their working environment all that kind of stuff um but again like mike said it's been really interesting to me over the last um two years to understand we've got people that's really happy working from home and actually the thought of them going to the office now when you know all these 20 people going in that day makes them feel a little bit anxious and the last thing you want to do then is say you've got to come in you've got to come in so yeah quite 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 free-flowing for us to be honest um we're in a good position where we don't we don't need to force anybody in right now or anything like that. Um, but there's definitely work that we need to do on our office to encourage more people to come in. Because, you know, I do think it's a good thing. It's a good thing to collaborate. It's a good thing to see your colleagues and so on and so forth. There has to be a reason. The most successful times we've, we've been able to get everyone in and everyone together, because it's nice to do that every now and then, is, like Mike said, when there's food involved and there's a pizza order coming in or... Uh, every now and then we'll have a quarterly sort of business day where uh, myself and some of the other leadership team will p- provide a presentation on sort of business performance and stuff like that. So we try and provide a reason for everyone to get together if we're going to get everyone into the office because we have got people who work as far away as Cambridge and stuff like that. So it's it's important that we give them a reason. We're not just making them come to the office to sit and do their work that they could do from home. But yeah, I, I haven't got the silver bullet because if i did uh, we would have done it by now um but we are certainly in that process because i would say and again don't mind admitting it right now our office isn't massively inspiring especially for a, a creative business and, and and we've got to do some work there and um yeah we're in that process now i mean since that sort of brings us to the end of end of the topics so does anyone else have anything they they want to add or talk about no well i've got one last thing i think it's i really think it's unique to every business i don't think there's one way of doing everything you know obviously you know myself and mike clearly uh sort of pro remote uh for the most part because our business allows us to do that keith on the other hand obviously has got a sensitive data he's handling and i think you can't just because you've made people go to the office or just because, because you, you're not making people come to the office doesn't reflect the leadership style of any sort of company i think it just reflects on what you do as a business and if you're making the right decisions by what you think you need to do and what you have to do contractually as, as keith said as well and you've got to do it. So I think, you know, every business is unique. There's not really a one-size-fits-all solution. Um, and we're all adapting, aren't we? So. No, definitely. Well, thanks for that, everyone. Before we end the podcast, I'd like to say thanks so much to all our guests today for sharing their thoughts in today's conversation. Once again, our guests on today's podcast are being Rob Twells at the Digital Maze, Keith Cox at Block Digital, Alex Lee, the consultant CTO, Mike Bruman at Vanti. If you are hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message too. I am Ashley and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at ashley.cavana at evolutionjobs.co.uk. 
or visit us at evolutionjobs.com slash UK. Thanks again to all our guests and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us next time.